So we're going to talk about this thing called love. We want to find out, if there's anything we want to find out about love, we want to find out what is it? How can we get more of it? And how can we share it with others? That's what we want to find out when we talk about love. Now, as we're talking about love, there's something that we have to kind of address. Many of us, when we look at love, as we look at love, we look at love as, there are people here who are, love is total people. If they were going to answer. Now, I'm going to put it, try to put love into categories, at least two. There are more, but we're going to put them into two. The first category is, love is total. What I mean by that is that these are the people who say, love is everything. Love is what makes me beautiful. Love is what will make me happy. Love is what completes me. It's the Jerry Maguire running into the room and saying, you complete me. Everything would be better if we just loved. If we were in love. It would fix everything. Now, when you're a love is total person, then when you fall in love, which can be very fast, right? When you fall in love, it's defenses down. You're willing to do things that you weren't necessarily willing to do before. You're willing to compromise your morals. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing. Why? Because you're in love. If a friend comes up to you and says, hey, maybe you're moving too fast. Maybe this is going uh, a little too quick. You go, wait, 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 but you don't understand. I'm in love. Sure. Love is total finds themselves looking for their completion where everything is found, all joy and happiness is found in the love, and it doesn't matter what one has to sacrifice because love is total. That's what they do. Love is total people. There's another group of people, and that's love is torture. Love is torture people are people who used to be love is total people, and it didn't work out so well. And it was painful and difficult. And so what they did was they, they decided not to let their defenses down. They decided to put their defenses up. And so they were going to protect their heart. They were going to defend themselves from any kind of emotional attachment, from any kind of relational connection. They would defend themselves. These people, they're not defenses down people, they're defenses up people. And what they do is they say, no one is ever going to come close. That's never going to happen again. And they have systems and they have strategies for making sure that no relationship ever gets close. There is love is total people, and there is love is torture people. But today, we're going to talk about a different kind of love. A different kind of love that addresses the hope that the love is total people desperately need. And it addresses the pain that the love is torture people prayerfully need. What we're going to find is a love that is not in between those two, but is beyond those two. The love is found in Jesus. Now, 
That's no surprise, right? You're in a church. This is easy. Well, you're not in a church. The church is a group of people who come together to worship God. But you're in a church community now. You're, it's Easter Sunday. But this is more than just, oh, that's the churchy thing to say. This is the solution for depression. This is the solution for um, guarding yourself away, isolating yourself from people. Because, listen, if your love is torture person and you guard your heart, here's the good news. You can protect your heart from others. Here's the bad news. Your heart shrivels up and dies. When you don't give... Love... Love is a gift from God meant to be uh, given to others. And when we don't, what we find, and you've seen people like this, the love is torture people, they eventually grow older to be cynical, to be bitter, to never let anyone in. They could be married. They could have children. But nobody is ever going to get into the deep places of their heart because of the pain that they've been through. Well, God doesn't want to show us an in-between way. God wants to show us another way, another way of seeing love. And we're going to spend the next three weeks after this discussing what love is, how it applies in our lives, and how we can not only get some more of it ourselves, but give it to others. We're going to start the talk about love in a text that is really important. One that uh, John the Apostle wrote down for us to listen to. You want to listen to this. The next few minutes are really crucial for you. You know why? Because your marriage depends on the quality and the quantity of the love that you're willing to give and to receive. Your children, the relationship that you have with your children, will depend greatly on the quantity and the quality of the love that you give. Even if you're not a Jesus person, even if you just came because someone invited you and they said, hey, we'll have lunch afterwards, and this is not that big of a... Listen, even if you want nothing to do with Jesus, this is a really important talk for you to listen to because the amount of love that you're able to receive and to give is directly correlated with the amount of happiness that you'll be able to have in life. It's a really big subject. So, we look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, where God wants us to know about love. God knows that you and I are going to be searching out what love is, where we can get it, and how we can share it with others. God knows that this is going to happen in and through our lives. It's going to be a desire, and he didn't want us to take the wrong turns. He didn't want us to go the route of love is total. That would be a mistake. That's a disappointment. That does not satisfy. And he didn't want us to go the route of love is torture because that will just leave you guarded and shriveled and bitter. Instead, he says, there's a third way. It's love is something other than you thought. 
So in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us about love, but he's not going to teach us about love as a feeling. Is love a feeling? Sure it is, but it's more than that. He's going to teach us that love is not necessarily an action. Is love an act? Absolutely. But it's more than that. He's going to teach us not necessarily that love is a commitment. Is love a commitment? Sure it is. But it's so much more than that. He's going to teach us that love is a person. If you would, in our church, we have a tradition where we stand at the reading of God's word because we reverence God and we respect him. And this is his word. You can read along with me in a nice loud voice. The words are on the screen and they're also in your bulletin, whichever you want to read from. Uh, On the count of three, we can read it together. One, two, three. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how we show his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Love, not total. Love, not torture. Love is something altogether different. John, the apostle. Now, it's interesting that John would write so poetically about love because John, if you can imagine this, was a kind of a a ruffian kind of guy. He, um, He was like impetuous. He was like a man's man kind of guy. He actually, he was the real deal. He was like fierce. He one time went into a village and in the village, they rejected the gospel. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And so uh, he, he came back to Jesus, and I'm telling you, this is a true response. He goes back to him, and he goes, uh, you know, hey, Jesus, they didn't want to hear about us and all that other stuff. He goes, should we call down fire from heaven? Like, okay, calm down, John. A little overzealous there, buddy. Relax a little. That's the John who's talking about love so beautifully here. And the reason that John can talk about love is because he didn't experience a feeling, although I'm sure he felt something. He didn't experience an act, although acts of love were given to him. He didn't experience a commitment, even though there was a great commitment given to him in love. He experienced the person of love. Love himself. Here's how he responds. He's a pastor, right? And so he's teaching a church. These words are to Christians. And he says this, Dear friends, let us love one another. Pause. Now, remember what I just said? I said he was teaching Christians. Have, have you ever spent time with the people of the church? Have you ever spent time? Yeah. You know why this is so difficult and why he had to say this. Because if you've ever, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Loving other believers is inconvenient, isn't it? Oh my. 
it can be difficult. Because, because when we start to do life together, isn't it true that when we start doing life together, sometimes people rub up against us in the wrong way? Yes. Isn't it true that when you are living together, doing life with one another, it can be difficult? And Christians are committed to living life with one another. And so John has to say the obvious. Oh, guys, you're doing life together. Hey, love one another. Let love be the basis by which you communicate, interact with. To which many of us decide, no thank you. I would rather just show up on Sunday, sit in a seat, listen to music, listen to the guy uh, with the fantastic clothes speak, <laughs> and, and then go home. That's, that's what I would do. And we decide, no, 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 we don't want to do that kind of life-to-life -life community, the Christian community. But I'm telling you, church, listen to me. This church should be so loving, it should, it should confound the people of this community. Any community that looks at our community should go, you know, I'm not sure I believe what they believe. I'm not sure I agree with the Bible and what they order their lives on. But I tell you, those people are the most loving people I've ever seen. They should know that about us. And John is telling the obvious that if, that if the God of love loved you like this, then your love for one another should be like that of the God of love. But I'm getting ahead of myself. John says, love one another. He goes, this is the reason why. Why? Why, John? For love comes from God. Now, I want you to dial in. This is super big. What I'm about to tell you can transform your life. It can transform your marriage. It can transform everything. John says where the source of love is from. When we try to love others in our own strength, we lose patience. We get frustrated we file for divorce, we decide we don't want to deal with anymore, we raise our voice, we get into arguments. When we decide to love with the strength and the ability that you and I have, that love falters, that love fails, that love has an expiration date. But John says, I want you to love one another, not with your love, not with the affections that you have. I want you to love for love comes from God. Now, this will transform your life. Think about this. If love comes from God and your husband is not giving you all the love that you think you should have, you're okay because you're not expecting love come from husband. Love comes from God. And so, and now this is the recovery house of worship. Any illustration that I'm going to make here about husbands and wives, uh, I'm, I'm, going to be talking to them, I'm going to be talking to you about them within the context of some level of health. If you're in an abusive relationship, you need to go ahead and let me know. Let one of the leaders know. Let us know so we could serve you and you can start a healing process, but not necessarily in an abusive relationship. You get what I'm saying here? So I'm not talking about like, oh, he's beating you, stay in that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please let me know. But what we are talking about is within a, a reasonably healthy um, situation, going, you know what? 
I'm giving myself, I'm loving you well, and I don't feel your love coming from me. So what do I do? I get bitter. I get angry. And then in that moment, what happens? At work, in the office, meet somebody, a friend at the gym. Somebody starts stealing our affections because we think love comes from people. And because love didn't come from him, we go, oh, 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 I get it, I get it. I now need to go to, I need to get my love from, because love doesn't come from God. Love comes from the next man. Love comes from the next woman. I'm telling you, this will change your life. This will change the, this will change everything. If you recognize, oh, wait, 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 love doesn't come from you. Love comes from God. You can then come into a, a, a marriage where you go, I want to love you well, and go, but I'm not getting loved. Wait, I don't have to be miserable. I realize that love comes from God. So I'm going to spend time with Jesus. He's going to fill me with all the love that I need, too overflowing so that my love can, so that God's love can come in my heart and overflow on the life of my spouse. You see how finding out love comes from God changes everything. Some of you, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm telling you where the place is now. It's not found in that person. It's not found in that place. It's not found in the next one. It's not found there. You're looking. You're, God, you're, you're, you're saying, I'm a love is total person. They're going to make me whole. They're going to make me beautiful. They're going to make me complete. They're going to make me secure. They're going to give me all that I need. And I'm letting you know it won't work because love doesn't come from them. You're trying to get water out of a stone. It doesn't come from them says, love one another, for love comes from God. Now, how could he say that? Watch. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I need to explain this a little bit better than I did in the first service. Let me try. What John is saying is that to be huggy-kissy close with God births this thing called godly love. Godly love. That it's possible for right now for us to love our children. Do I know atheists who love their children? Absolutely. Do I know atheists who are better husbands than I am? Absolutely. You know, do I know Buddhists and Muslims and uh, Hindus and, you know, do I know people who are not Christians who love better than I do? But he's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. And of course I do. I'm not that great of a lover. I'm not. I'm impatient. I wonder if anybody's like me. I have all sorts of conditions on my love. I, I mean, if you upset me, my love dwindles, doesn't grow. I, wonder, I, I bet I'm the only guy like this in this room, right? Yeah. And so, and so this is my kind of love. So, so I get that. But the love that he's talking about is, you don't understand, if love is from God, and in another passage he says, God is love. Notice he doesn't say love is God. Love is not God. He's saying the basis for love is God. He's saying God is love. When you say love is God, then you make your feeling, your idea, your desire, your uh, commitment. You're making your commitment 
what defines God when you say love is God. That's not what we're saying. We're saying God is love. Who God is defines what love is. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Here's here's what he's saying in a nutshell. If you know God, you'll know love. If you know God, you'll know love. That's what he's trying to say. Hey, you know Jesus? You'll know love. You You know how he can say that? Because of the next verse. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Think about this for a second. This is a game changer, guys. This is a game changer. No Jesus, no love. Watch this. What God is saying is that he saw us in our sins and he didn't wait for us to turn to him. He turned to us instead. That God did not wait for you to get your act together, to stop sleeping around, to become a good person. God didn't wait for you to um, get your life straight, stop drinking. God didn't wait for any of that stuff. God says, You're a mess. In fact, this is the Christian message, that you are worse than you think. Now, this is, now remember, we're talking about love here, but this is something very profound. God, the God who, God is love, that God. God says, you're a mess. And I'm going to love you in a sacrificial way that's going to blow your mind. I'm going to give of myself in a way that you can't even imagine. God is love. If you know Jesus, you know love. What do you mean? Because when we come to a God like that, who pursues us when we have nothing to offer, nothing to give, no righteousness in our hands, no good deeds to point to. I can't point to being a good parent, A, because I'm not a good parent, ask my kids, B, because, B, because that's not how I go to God. It's not because of parenting, not because I'm a hard worker, not because of anything that I say that I am about myself. This is what makes Jesus so radical. When you come to Jesus, you come with nothing. And some people, they can't take that. No, 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 no. If I come to Jesus, I better come with, okay, so Jesus, you come with like, I don't know, like nine-tenths, and I'll come with like one-tenth. Because if I come to you with nothing, that means I owe you everything. You see what I'm saying here? If I come to you and I have nothing, in other words, if it's not that I don't need a helper, like, hey, I'm climbing up the stairs and I'm really tired and you grab my hand and you help me a little bit, right? Jesus is not like that. He's not, we don't need a helper. We don't need a coach. We need a savior. See, our condition, we like to think, is, you know what? Getting with God is like jumping is like jumping 15 feet. 
you know, I, I, I can't do it on my own, but I bet if I had a motorcycle, I could probably do it. Maybe if I had a pogo stick, I could do it. Maybe if I had something else, a ramp with a bike, maybe then I could jump the 20 feet. In other words, I just need a little bit of help. That's not what coming to Jesus is like. You don't need a little bit of help. I don't need a little bit of help. Coming to Jesus is like being in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean while a tsunami is taking place. And the undertow is dragging you down 30 feet. That's what coming to Jesus is like. There is no hope for you at all. If something from outside of you doesn't help you, you're done. Another picture of what many of us think that um, coming to Christ is like a baby learning how to walk. So a baby learns how to walk, right? You, you, you help them a little bit, and I have five kids, so I've seen them all learn how to walk, and it's always wonderful, right? You take the baby, and then you finally let go of their hands, and right, they have the little dance that they do, right? And they get like one or two steps, and then you're like, you celebrate, and it's everybody's so excited. We think that that's what it's like coming to Jesus. We can barely make it, we can barely, and then he grabs us up, and woof, it wasn't that wonderful. That's not what coming to Jesus is like. Coming to Jesus is not like a baby walking towards his mother. Coming to Jesus is like being a worm in a ring of fire and trying to get out. If you are not acted upon from something outside of you, you will die in that ring of fire. That's why when we say love comes from God, it's so profound. Because God had no other motivation to love us other than his love. It wasn't because God made us because he needed to have more companionship. God is satisfied all within himself. It wasn't because we were kind of good people and, and, and God could help us to be better people. No, 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 no. We weren't good people who needed to become better. We were dead people who need to be resuscitated. That's the difference. In the gospel. Now, here's, he says, listen to what he says. He sent, this is how God showed his love to us, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here it is, guys. You and I are enemies of God, and God's love pursues us. Now, let me ask you this, because remember, we're talking about love. How does that change your marriage? How does that change the way you raise your kids? How does that change the way you deal with depression? How does that change the way you deal with discouragement? How does that change the way you deal with when you mess up and when you're full of shame? It changes everything. Imagine, imagine if you were loved by God in a way that you don't deserve, what would that mean for you? Well, that means when you have people in your life who need love but don't deserve it, you have experience with them. You have experience with being loved even when you didn't deserve love. So it's no longer when, I'm, when people treating me in ways that I don't think I find respectful, I can still love them. Why? Because I can go, wait, Jesus, you mean the way they just lied to me. 
I know that they lie to me. I hate lying. I hate when I'm being lied to. I know that they lie to me. Are you saying that this is the way you feel when I've lied to you? Oh. And how did you respond to me when I lied to you? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So wait, I lied to you and then you sacrificed yourself for me? Uh Uh-huh. Are you saying that then as I receive that love that I deserve, just like that I receive love rather than the, the penalty that I deserve, that I can overflow love into the person who's lying to me? That's amazing. That changes everything. What about when I'm feeling depressed? And I feel, you know what? I'm just, I feel depressed. I feel like I want to die. I feel like nobody loves me. Like everything that I do just doesn't work out well. I can go to God and go, God, I feel like I'm worthless. He go, let me tell you about value that I've, been best- that I've bestowed upon you. A value, you know how you, you know how you know how valuable something is? By however, one, however much someone is willing to pay for it. That's how you know how valuable. Let me illustrate this for you. Does anybody have, and of course we're in church, so I'm going to ask you for money. Does anybody have a $20 bill? I'll give it back, I promise. Maybe not. Okay, give me a $20 bill. If you've got it, give it to me. Oh, you rock. That's awesome. That's right. Now watch this. Yeah, right, right. All right, I'll see you next week. Okay, no, seriously. Okay, now watch this. Okay. What is that? Anybody know? Not a trick question. $20 bill. Why is this piece of paper worth $20 and the paper that my notes are written on not worth $20? Watch this. Because, because of the value of the one who created it has bestowed upon it. This is worth $20 because the ones that created it have deemed that this is worth $20. Does this make sense? Are you, are you following along? That this is a value that has been bestowed upon it by its creator. Now, let me ask you something. Let me ask you. Watch this. This is really big. What if I crumble this up? How much is this worth now? $20. Okay. What if I take this and I throw it on the ground? How much is it worth now? Okay. What if I inject this full of heroin and full of cocaine? How much is it worth? Okay. What if I stomp all over this and, and I get it involved with other things and other groups that will lead it in the wrong path? How much is it worth? Why is it still worth $20? Because it's the value that's been bestowed upon it. When I'm depressed and I feel like I have no value, I'm reminded that the one who created me bestowed not a monetary value on me, but the value of his very life, shedding his blood on the cross for me. That if I was the only person on earth, he would have still died for me. And by the way, if I was the only person on earth, I would have been the one putting the nails in his hands. And yet he still would have died for me. 
that the God of heaven and earth, who did not need us, decided to love us. He bestowed a value upon us. He made us and he gave us worth. That's what this text is saying. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Thank you so much for our sins. Thank you. No, no, that would be something. So let me ask you this. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else have any more money? Yeah, 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 yeah. So now, now here's the thing. Look up at me. Guys, do you know that God loves you that way? Do you know that he's crazy about you? Do you know that there's not one thing that you've done to deserve his love? You could come, listen, you can read your Bible till the cows come home. You can come to services till forever. Listen, that's not what gets you saved. What gets you saved, like a ring, like a worm in a ring of fire, is that God from without acted upon your life. And because God did this, it overflows our heart with love that can then overflow on everyone else. Are you depressed? Do you feel worthless? Let me tell you something. God has bestowed a worth on me that is greater than any value of anybody else's opinion, even my own. Do you feel feel ugly? Let me tell you something. God clothed you in righteousness and in beauty and says, you are so beautiful. I'd rather die than be without you. Have you blown it? Do you feel great guilt in the past? God goes, you know what? You're more guilty than you think. I know what your intentions and your motivations are even when you do good things. And I'm telling you, I died for those sins. You deserve the death penalty, but I won't let you have it. I'll go in your place. It's what love does. Because love is... A feeling, but it's more than a feeling. Love is an act, but it's more than an act. Love is a commitment, but it's more than a commitment. Love is a person, and he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you like a hungry lion pursues a deer. He's pursuing you. Would you say no to that? Would you say, nah, Nah, I'm too good for that. Would you say, I don't want that? Would you say, I have too many questions? No, 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 no. When you see love like that, the only response is, yes, I receive your love. So, here's love. That Jesus came from heaven to earth to live the life that you should have lived, but you didn't. And die the death that you deserve to die. You know why we call this Easter? Because he rose from the grave. You go, but I have doubts. I have questions. Listen, he rose from the grave. How do you know? There were eyewitnesses. Up to 500 eyewitnesses. Listen, how many witnesses do they need in order to convict me of a murder? Anybody know? One. One. There were 500 eyewitnesses. This is a rough one to get around. 500 eyewitnesses. You go, but how do you know that? Because their testimony, their witness has been recorded throughout time. You go, but I'm not so sure. Listen, 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 listen. 
I still have questions, but what about this in the Bible? But what about that? But what, we, but what about what I was taught in this uh, 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 religion or in this thing? Listen to me. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. Go with the one who rose from the dead. Okay? Listen. If I tell you something, maybe true, maybe not true. But if a guy rises from the dead, go with whatever that guy says. Okay? That's the rule of life. Okay? Yeah, but my professor, he taught me this. You know, that the Bible is like man-made and all this other stuff. Okay. And yeah, and my dad said, and, and yeah, and my friends, they all say this. Listen, 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 listen. Go with the guy who rose from the dead, right? Don't go with the guy who's smoking a little weed on the weekends. I'm telling you, go with the guy who rose from the dead. That's the rule of life. But lastly, let me share this. Now, in just a couple of, in, in just a, a minute or so, we're going to hear someone's story who gave his life to Christ. Now, he's dressed in white. Let me tell you why. Because baptism is an outward symbol of an inward working of God. What we're saying, what we're saying when we get baptized, what we're saying is that I was, I was lost. And Jesus washed me white as snow, not because I'm good, but because he's good, because he went to the cross, died for my sins, and rose from the, good day, rose from the grave. This is why we rejoice this day on Easter, because he rose, rose for us, for his glory. So you're going to hear his story, but let me just say, before you hear his story, God, God did the love is total thing. But he didn't do it to get identity. He gave it to give identity and he gave himself totally. But he not only did the love is total thing in order to love you well so that he could live in you, so that you could know him and walk with him and never have to be alone for the rest of eternity. But I want you to know that we celebrate today Because he also did the love is torture thing. Dying on the cross willingly. Not only did Jesus have to die for your sins. Here's the good news. He wanted to. He desired to. Beloved, don't say no to that. So we're going to hear the story of a person who uh, is going to share his story with us about Jesus transforming his life. Then he's going to get baptized, but then I'm going to ask you to come to Christ yourself. And I don't want you to stick with, I don't want you to stick with excuses. You come to Christ. And here's what I mean by saying come to Christ. Here, one, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins. I'm not coming with excuses. I'm not saying, no, it wasn't that bad or whatever. No, no, no. It's worse than I think. Here, it's yours. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Secondly, I believe that you could forgive me for all the wrong things that I've done in my life. And believe me, I am, that, that's super meaningful to me because I'm the chief sinner here. I'm telling you, you can't out me. I'm the worst one in this room. Amen. And if he could forgive me, he could forgive you. If he could bestow mercy on me, he could bestow mercy on you. No one is too far gone. You think, listen to me, your sin is no match 
for his love. No match. There's not even a contest. It's like a, a BB gun versus a Sherman tank. There's no contest. First, he died on the cross for my sins. I'm not faking it. You died on the cross for my sins. You can forgive me of my sins because you paid the penalty for my sins. And then thirdly, my body's yours. Whatever decisions I make, whatever actions I my body. You be the boss of my body. You be the Lord of my life. You be the director of the movie of my life. That's what we're saying. Those three things. You died on the cross for my sins. I believe that. I don't, I'm not making excuses. I'm that bad. I want you to come into my heart and forgive me. And I want to live for you. That's what we mean when we say come to Christ.